Morning, everyone. Good to be with you this morning. There's a large part of me that is sorely tempted to say all we need to do is take our Bibles, go out to Greenbase, sit on a rug, read it, and that'll be enough. Reflect on it and then act on it. However, we're in a new series and we're going to be looking at what it actually means to be uh, God's people in the church. And each week we're going to be trying to incorporate three things as we meet and uh, examine stuff together. We're going to try and think of a bit of theology and a bit of uh, doctrine. So we're going to be using our heads. Then we're going to think about the implications for what it means in our relationships and beyond Barley Hill. So that takes us into our hearts. And then we're going to think about what it means with our practical application of what it means that we're going to do in the future with action, and that's to do with our hands. So there's a bit of head and heart, and then the challenge is go out and do a bit of handwork. Now then, um, I used to be an RE teacher, and I remember being part of the problem. I remember getting kids to sit down and saying, we're going to find out about the Christian church, because that was on the syllabus. And we all piled into the local church, and we started drawing these really boring plans of what a church looked like, and try and encourage kids to remember that this was a nave and this was a chancel, and this was a steeple, and look at all this brass. So we brought up a whole generation of kids that understand churches as being about buildings. But the passage today, you'll see it had nothing whatsoever to say about a building. It has everything to do about the people and how we are. The very topic that we're looking at this morning goes back to the 4th century because there's a famous creed in the Christian church. It's called the Nicene Creed. And it was eventually agreed later on in the 4th century. And it's recited still in churches all around the world and up and down in this country. And Christians are invited to join in the statement, we believe in one holy, Catholic and apostolic church. One holy, Catholic and apostolic church. Four marks of the Christian faith. And we're going to be thinking this morning on what does it mean in terms of its implications to have those four marks. We're going to unpack each of those four things, hopefully fairly briefly. One holy, catholic, apostolic. But the problem is, too often the church isn't those things. It's not one, it's fragmented. It's not holy, but it's corrupt. It's not Catholic, it's parochial. And it isn't apostolic, but it's modernistic. And I'm not going to say that the church doesn't need to change and ignore contemporary society. But that's our challenge. There was a man and he was shipwrecked on an island. And he'd been on that island for quite a time. And a passing ship noticed him as he waved frantically in order to be rescued. And when the rescue party eventually came onto shore, they noticed three buildings. And they asked him, well, what are those three buildings? Well, the first one is my home. And that second one, that's my church. And they said, but what about the third one? And he said, oh, that's the church I used to go to. (laughs) There are countless Christian denominations. There are thousands, probably tens of thousands. It doesn't feel like the church is just one. And moves towards unity often actually make the problem even worse. 
because they don't reduce the number. Two churches decide to get together and they form the new church. And then the two people who didn't want to be part of that church, they still keep separate. So any move to make the church one ends up actually creating even more churches. But in the eyes of God, there is one church. That emphatically doesn't mean that only one group of Christians is in the right and the rest are in error and outside the true church. What it's actually referring to is something that Augustine called the church invisible. The sum total of all of those who trust in Jesus within their hearts. And why is it the invisible church? Because actually it's only God who really sees within our souls. So what does it mean to be one church? Hear this gospel reading. is from John 17, verses 6 to 23. After saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so he can give glory back to you. I'm not sure if that's the right one. Sorry. Bear with me for a moment. <laughs> John 17, 6 to 23. I right. started at the beginning. Oh, you started at the beginning. <laughs> 6 to 23. <laughs> I have revealed to you the ones you gave me from this world. They were always yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything I have is a gift from you, for I have passed on to them the message you gave me. They accepted it, and know that I came from you, and they believe that you sent me. My prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me, because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you, and you have given them to me, so they bring me glory. Now I'm departing from this world. They are staying in this world, but I am coming to you. Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they may be united just as we are. During my time here, I protected them by the power of the name you gave me. I guarded them so that not one of them was lost except the one headed for destruction as the scriptures foretold. Now I am coming to you I told them many things while I was with them in this world, so they would be filled with my joy. I have given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do, Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, 
I am sending them into the world, and I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us, so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. So what does it mean in order to be the church? It's a challenge, because we often disagree with each other over different issues. But we are one church if we declare that Jesus is Lord and declare, backed in that letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians, that there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And when we believe that, we stand together, and we stand hand in hand with the apostles and Christians through the ages, with Peter and with Paul and with Phoebe and Priscilla and Lydia and Dorcas and Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Archbishop Oscar Romero and Edith Stein and all the other Christians that have borne witness to the truth of the Christian gospel. In our first Bible reading... St. Paul, in that letter to the Ephesians, he says, there is one body. And in that old analogy, if you stub your toe, the rest of your body reacts. In my case, also my mouth. And if Christians in Iraq or in Nigeria or Pakistan are suffering, we ought to feel it. We ought to be concerned. We ought to react to comfort them. There is one body, Paul says. We share in one spirit. We have one hope, one Lord Jesus Christ, one faith, who is above all and through all and in all. There's one baptism. Even in our state of division, different Christian churches, they recognize one baptism. You're not baptized into the Church of England. You're not baptized into the Roman Catholic Church or whatever. You are baptized a Christian. We believe into Christ when we become one in Christ. It's why at Soul Survivor, when hundreds, actually thousands of young Christians make a decision in order to follow Christ, the first thing they're asked to do is to turn around and face the thousands of youngsters and others who are in the big worship tent. And they're all applauded. And they're welcomed into the family of Christ as brothers and sisters. And all because there is only one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So Paul writes, make every effort to keep unity, to be one, 
See past the differences. Love them. Meet with them. Care for them. And there's loads of stuff that different denominations disagree about. Social ethics, beliefs about what happens at communion, the role of women in leadership. But most now see that keeping unity is far more important than those differences. It's more important that I love my Roman Catholic brothers and sisters and that together we bear to the witness and the love of God in Christ. That's why we're putting on a joint youth alpha for the 21 kids who decided to make a commitment to Christ at Halogen. Now, I'm not saying that I agree, therefore, with everything within the Catholic Church and the status of the Pope. I think that in some aspects they're wrong about a number of things, and they think I'm wrong about a number of things. But the unity of the Church is more important than that. Within the Church of England, many disagree, for example, with the ministry of women priests and bishops. Many differ, uh, differ strongly about attitudes to issues of sexuality. And it drives me nuts at times. Why don't we just say, this is the agreed view of the Church of England, like it or lump it and leave if you need to. Why? Because even though we may disagree, people are my brothers and sisters. And unity, despite the pains and the tensions it causes, is far, far important. But that unity is utterly hopeless if it's left to me. It's simply beyond me. For all four of those marks, being one, holy, Catholic and apostolic, they're actually about Jesus Christ. The church is one because Jesus Christ is one. The church is holy because Jesus Christ is holy. The church is Catholic because Jesus Christ is the saviour of all. And the church is apostolic because as the Father has sent Jesus, so Jesus sends us. So in other words, if we understand the nature of the church at all, we're, under, we're to understand who Jesus Christ is and what he does. The ex-archbishop, Rowan Williams, he said that seeing the nature of the church in these terms is to be liberated from any idea that the oneness, the holiness, the catholicity, the apostolicity of the church are either characteristics that we possess in our own rights or even goals that we can plan for. One church and one holy church to say that we're holy doesn't claim that we're going to be better than anyone else. You and I, we don't have the right to call ourselves a holy person, but we are part of a holy church because holy, usually in the Bible, doesn't mean especially good or pure, but it means to be set apart. And as those readings were illustrating for us, we're set apart from the world as dedicated to God. And we have a purpose for which we are set apart to make Christ known in the world as we witness to the love of God. And God has called the church his bride, a bride that is to be holy. And he has commanded that we should consecrate ourselves. We should keep ourselves apart from the standards and the ways of the world and to be totally focused and exclusively 
be looking to his will and his ways. And that begins by keeping God's decrees, following God's instructions, but being really aware that trying to remain pure is ridiculous without charity. And it's not us that makes ourselves holy, but it's the Lord. You are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy. And I've set you apart from the nations to be my own. This is the word of God in the Old Testament in Leviticus. He is the one who set us apart from the world. But as the writer of the Hebrews says, make every effort to live in peace with all men and be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And that holiness, that, those God standards are for his church, not only on a Sunday. We're not to be a Sunday best community that's disconnected from the world, fearful that its lifestyle and habit will somehow dirty us and desecrate us. But God gives us a standard to live by. And we've looked at that previously. And we can return to that through the Sermon on the Mount. But none of those characteristics actually are sought after in the world system of success. God's standards for us make us radically different. Living lives that are countercultural in the world systems. Living as light and salt in this present world. And that opens out onto that third mark of the church. One holy and Catholic. That Catholicity is a, is a word that's often misunderstood. It doesn't mean that secretly we are all waiting to line up and join the Roman Catholic Church. It means that we are whole. The Catholic Church is a church for the whole of the human race not just geographically. But here on earth, we fall so short. We create walls. We create separations. But in the true church, no one is asked to leave. The reason why that phrase was included in the Apostles' Creed is that in the beginning, Jews believed that they were the people who would belong and could belong to God. And the church believed that Jews could be Christians. And since Jesus was a Jew and worked primarily among his own people, the first Christians were Jews and they naturally saw Jesus as the Jewish Messiah. And it was a completely new idea to them to realize that Jesus died for the whole of humanity. That he is the Messiah of the whole world. The church is for every color every race, every socio-economic or other human-created boundary. It recognises no clan. It seeks no nation. It has no flag. It's for Brexiteers and Remainers. And then we come to the fourth mark, the apostolic church. Well, the church perhaps is never more apostolic than when it follows the beliefs of the apostles and is called out to declare the reality of divine grace. When we gather in order to follow the example of the apostles who declared the love and grace of God revealed in the chief cornerstone, in the life, death, 
resurrection and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. But simply praising the risen Lord and then going home, that's not being apostolic. Because the gift that we celebrate when we praise the risen Lord together in church is the gift now in our hands, in our mouths, in our voices to share with the world. And so we're drawn back again and again to where we all started. The one Christ, the one source of divine life, power. Because you see, the apostles in the New Testament, they're not heroes. Yep, they're saints and they're martyrs, but they're not heroes. They struggle, they fail, they repent and they return. Peter himself betrays his Lord and yet is called afresh. Paul speaks of how he's not even worthy to be called an apostle because he persecuted the church. An apostolic church which continues to witness as the apostles, it's a church that's always engaged in repentance, always open to renewal, always trusting the one Lord for his faithfulness. So all I've said is an attempt in order to put before you a vision of the church so deeply focused on Jesus Christ that it finds its oneness, its holiness, its catholicity, its being apostles, not by human endeavour, but by faithfulness to Jesus. In our Gospel reading, what if we would have come across St John and as he lay against Jesus' shoulder at the Last Supper. I wonder what he would have said if we had interrupted and said, well, would you like, John, to explain to me something about the one holy Catholic and apostolic church? Well, I think John, one of the sons of thunder, he probably would have spoken pretty strongly and told us, just shut up. I'm listening to the Lord. The more we are focused and drawn to Jesus, the more we shut up and listen to the Lord, the more these things will become not matters that we have to master for ourselves, but things that flow out of our relationship with Jesus Christ. So enough of the theology. We need to dwell in our hearts and then be called out in order to work with our hands. To reflect on those words in Ephesians 3 verse 10. So that through the church, the wisdom of God in all of its riches might be made known. Not asking ourselves, why doesn't the church do this or do that? But rather, as a church, let us live in holiness to God's word. Expressed through love and mercy recognizing that there's no one outside the love of God and being ready to declare that love following in the footsteps of those goes before us. If we do that, then there's a chance that we start reflecting one holy, Catholic and apostolic church for the glory of God and for the coming of his kingdom. Amen.